0: Love Talk Radio.
1: You're
2: listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, August second, twenty sixteen, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts Lavendar and Anastasia. Our special guest this evening is author Timothy Wiley. After a profound near-death experience in his early 30s, in which he encountered angels and was given the choice to return, Timothy knew he had to explore these unseen dimensions of life. His 11 books, starting in 1984 with dolphins, ETs, and angels, all focus on the increasing influence of non-human intelligences on planetary life. Ask Your Angels, written with two colleagues, became a New York Times bestseller and continues to sell in 11 translations. His recent books are collaborations with a discarnate watcher that trace the impact of the angelic rebellion 203,000 years ago, which effectively isolated us from the great inhabited multiverse. His latest book, The Awakening of the Watchers is the fifth volume of the collaboration with The Watcher Georgia. You can visit his website at timothywiley.com and that's spelled T-I-M-O-T-H-Y Timothy and Wiley is W-Y-L-L-I-E dot com. The August Harmonic Starseed Gathering in Arkansas will be August 19th through the 21st and is open to all starseeds. The reservations have filled up pretty fast, so please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-I-E, at StarSeedHotline.com for more details to uh, grab up some of those last spots. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's StarSeed News, bringing topics of interest to StarSeeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. We'd like to thank Vanya for hosting the Switchboard this evening. For any listeners that may have a question or comment for Timothy, If you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com. It's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any show in our archives on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow on it. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888 881 The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will help. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And then if you want a stage two interpretation of that solar return chart, please remember to order at least two or three months ahead of your birthday to make sure that you get it in before your 10 hours because we do have a waiting list. So uh, first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Hello. <laughs> Good
0: evening, <Ariel. laughs> Hey. Good evening, Seed listeners. It's great to be back with you. And uh, we'll start off our news by talking about the sun, as usual. NOR- NOAA forecasters have estimated that there was a 65% chance of geomagnetic storms today because the CME is expected to strike our Earth's magnetic field. Solar wind stream following is, clo- is following close on the heels of this CME, and they said it could boost storm levels to G2 by tomorrow. So the, storm, the uh, sun is getting active again with a few storms coming our way. Well, NASA is about to launch a seven year mission uh, to a potentially uh, very dangerous, they call it civilization destroying asteroid named Bennu. Well, what's up with that? I hadn't heard anything about this before today. But NASA is about to launch a one billion dollar, seven-year mission to probe an asteroid named Benny, which may carry the building blocks of organic life, but also, they say, has a chance of hitting Earth late into the next century. The authorities that have commented on this asteroid say that it may be destined to cause immense suffering and death. And so they are... Uh, really earnestly trying to get to it to destroy it, because they think that it has a strong chance of impacting our planet in the next century. It seems like something out of a sci-fi movie. They're going to try to destroy an asteroid. Well, and uh, in uh, Russia, their space agency, which is called Roscosmos, and they intend to send an orbiter and a lander to Jupiter within the next 10 years. Now, the main goal of their project is to explore uh, Jupiter's moon Ganymede for the existence of primitive life forms. Isn't that wow. something? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And in Japan... A group of astronomers and undergraduate students at the National Astronomical Observatory of Japan in Tokyo found a unique galaxy system they are calling the Eye of Horus. Now, this is um, a very uh, kind of a difficult story to explain if one isn't an astronomer, but what makes this so unusual is that they were looking through a particular kind of telescope and uh, saw two types of galaxies in the same picture, what they say is unusual, based on uh, the distance that they are from us, the way the uh, galaxies themselves were radiating light. <laughs> anyway, um, I've skipped the details because it's really quite complex, but they said that this is uh, very unusual. They haven't found this kind of cl- cluster of galaxies before and uh, it's very new. Now, these are not, uh, uh, many of them are not prominent scientists. They were undergrad students, which is probably one reason it's making the the news. Very unusual. The Eye of Horus. They found that by looking at images with the Subaru telescope. So if you're interested in that, you can look that up um, because it's pretty technical. But it's some new kind of galaxy formation. The way the galaxies are interacting with each other, there are actually two of them. Two galaxies together that are portraying very unusual properties uh, that have not yet been recognized before now. And here's something that's wild, 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 I tell you. Russian scientists have developed a magnetic 3D bioprinter for radiation monitoring experiments on the ISS, International Space Station. <clears throat> Russian scientists, in cooperation with the National Space Agency, are under in the process, I should say, of developing a magnetic 3D bioprinter that will allow production of living tissue in the microgravity conditions of the International Space Station. Now, they're going to grow living tissue. The scientific team hopes to send the unique technology to the International Space Station by next year, and scientists are envisioning that in the long term, the newly designed bioprinter could potentially be used to cr- correct astronauts' damaged t- tissues and organs during long space flights. In addition, the company says the new technology could be used on Earth for the faster printing of human tissue and organs to save people's lives. Wow. Wow. That's time we live in. You know uh space flight really does incur a lot of problems for the human body. It causes heart difficulties all uh, skeletal difficulties it really is. Uh puts in question the viability with current technology of even surviving deep space flight. You know, we watch Star Trek from, from years past and uh, movies such as that that indicate people have, uh, are able to live long-term in space. But as of yet, um, we haven't found a way to do that. So uh, the next best resource is to invent a printer that will repre- replace organs and tissues that have been damaged in the process. So that's where we are. A remarkable thing in and of itself. Wow. Um and scientists have uh, uh begun to design solar a solar cell that produces burn- burnable fuel from carbon dioxide and sunlight. Now, these are researchers at the University of Illinois at Chicago who have engineered a potentially game-changing solar cell that cheaply and efficiently converts atmospheric carbon dioxide directly into usable hydrocarbon fuel using only sunlight for energy. Is that cool or what? The finding is reported in the issue of Science uh, and was funded by the National Science Foundation. Uh, uh, they have applied for a provisional patent for this. Now, unlike uh, conventional solar cells, which happen to convert sunlight into electricity that has to be stored in heavy batteries, The new device essentially does the work of plants, converting atmospheric carbon dioxide into fuel, and that solves two crucial problems at once. Now, a solar farm of such, like, artificial leaves could remove significant amounts of carbon from the atmosphere and produce energy-dense fuel efficiently in the process. This solar cell will be photovoltaic, uh, not photovoltaic, excuse me, but it will be photosynthetic, operating exactly in the same fashion that plants do. Wow. That is amazing. Well, in our Earth Changes Department, there's been a lot going on. In Maryland, one person has drowned and more than 100 others were rescued after heavy rains caused severe damage in Maryland this weekend. Uh, Six inches of rain fell in Ellicott City in three hours. They say it caused tremendous devastation. So 120 people had to be rescued during that flooding. And in Greece, well, they had a 5.2 earthquake that struck on Saturday, according to the USGS. Um, It was a very shallow quake and uh, pretty unusual, but there it is, uh, Greece having an earthquake. And uh, Japan has come to a standstill, by the way, after an official agency issued a false 9.1 earthquake warning. Well, trains ground to a halt uh, every Roadway became jammed. Thousands of citizens were panicking as Japan's meteorological agency sent out an alarm that a massive earthquake was about to strike the capital region, which is home to more than 40 million people. Uh, The warning was issued uh, yesterday evening about 5 o'clock. It quickly went out to mobile apps and warned millions of people in Tokyo that an earthquake uh, equivalent to 9.1 was imminent so bullet trains began to stop, uh, according to official regulations. Um, for, 15 network, for 15 minutes, uh, uh, the network, mobile network was down in Japan, and everybody sat still and waited, breathless, for this 9.1 quake, but then nothing happened. Uh, according to Japan's Meteorological Agency, and I quote, "...the quake that had been predicted has not taken place. It's an error on our part. We sincerely apologize." So one would wonder what made make them uh, uh, send out an alert like that. Is there something that they're assessing? And, and was it just a warning that, uh, you know, just something that didn't occur now but might occur later? We don't know. But a lot of people were waiting in suspension, uh, frozen in time, so to speak, waiting for this quake to happen. But at least they did send out a warning. All right. Well, um Everybody's probably sort of keeping their pulse on the presidential election. I thought I would, or the presidential uh, uh, primaries and uh, candidates. And I thought I might just point out that only nine percent of the U.S. population that's eligible to vote will support either Donald Trump or Qu- Hillary Clinton as presidential candidates, according to the New York Times, who reported this on Monday, Monday after having analyzed the statistical data. Only 9% of the U.S. population will choose either one of those people. An all-time low. Well, we have some wildfires burning across seven western states. They were burning yesterday uh, from California's uh, Big Sur region uh, to Reno, Nevada. Uh, Evacuations from fires were ordered in Montana, Nevada, Oregon, and Wyoming, and firefighters were trying to stop a Washington blaze from reaching a security zone at the Hanford Nuclear Reservation. In a couple of these fires, one of them from Hamilton, Montana, uh, 500 people had to evacuate because a uh, fast-moving wildfire threatened a number of structures there. Uh, The the wildfire has been called the Roaring Lion Fire. They say that it's at least a uh, half-square mile wide heading up uh, the Bitterroot National Forest Roads, and they said that more than 2,000 acres have burned so far. And in California, uh, about Big Sur, uh, that fire is spreading even further. It's destroyed 57 homes and forced the evacuation of 300 people. It's taking 5,000 firefighters to fight it. They say that it has grown to an area of 59 square miles, and officials are warning that it could be another month before the blaze is completely extinguished. Oh. At the Flower Garden Bank's uh, uh, National Marine Sanctuary in Texas, a mass die-off of coral and other sea animals was discovered this week on a reef. Now, it was sports divers that discovered this. They discovered it yesterday, and they said that this is about 100 miles southeast of Galveston. The divers were stunned to find the green, hazy water. Huge patches of ugly white mats coating of corals and sponges and dead animals littering the bottom of the East Flower Garden Bank. This is a reef that's normally filled with color and marine life. So far, officials have not commented as to the cause or what's happened. And uh, something interesting is happening in some northern countries. Siberia uh, is undergoing a flare-up of anthrax, something which hasn't occurred for a very long time. Yep, In Russia last week, several cases of anthrax were reported in a nomadic reindeer herding community. Eight people have been formally diagnosed with the disease, and some of them have died. Now, Anthrax today is commonly thought of as a biological weapon, but anthrax is not man-made. It's a natural disease, and it can be treated with antibiotics. It's not contagious unless a person has contact with infected livestock or products such as meat and animal skins that originate from infected animals. But here's the thing researchers are believing that this year's record-breaking stretch of warm temperatures in Siberia has contributed to the melting permafrost and the previously uh, frozen layer of soil in the tundra, which is causing the emergence of this disease. Because in Sweden also, Swedish authorities are investigating an anthrax outbreak at farms in central Sweden, and it has not been confirmed what caused the outbreak. However, Sweden also has experienced unusual warmth and uh, uh, unusual weather, weather patterns. They are suspecting that these outbreaks may be the result of climate change. Well, what can we do about all of this stress and some of the concerns that are going on out there? It's really a crazy time. Um, spending time in nature would probably help. And there's an article out of SciBlog that uh, affirms just that. Research has indicated that nature will provide people an escape from uh, stress, from worries, from urban environments, and a way to let their minds recover. Uh, In the studies, they have... uh, put people, uh, studied people's reactions to nature, and six of the themes that emerged when people reported on their experiences with nature uh, are this. One is relaxation. The uh, study participants expressed that nature made them feel relaxed and gave them a relief from stress. Nature provided them with feelings of peace and calm and a sense of renewal. It was grounding and created feelings of fulfillment. Who would turn that down? So nature can do that for us. Nature also provides a time out, a sense of being away from the everyday, a sense of escape and a sense of refuge, a sense of losing track of time, which is equivalent to losing a sense of being pressured under the gun, uh, a mindful of thoughts of things to do and places to go and be. They say that being away from urban or uh, human environments provided also a sense of freedom. Who would turn that down? That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, nature provides enjoyment. People have described how being in nature gave them a sense of, de- a sense of deep enjoyment, of happiness, even joy, and deep contentment. Wow. I, I would like some of that. Wouldn't you all like that? <laughs> and also connection, that nature can make people feel connected with something greater than themselves, uh, with a sense of the bigness of things, their place in the cosmos, Uh, feeling immersed in something that is uh, more old than them, more uh, uh, expansive, uh, with other life forms, with other intelligence, with just pure life, with a capital L, being connected, in a sense, with the divine. Who doesn't want that? Also, being in nature provided sensory engagement. Nature was stimulating to the senses and was associated with ideas of beauty, Well, in my experience, when we connect with beauty, we connect directly with spirit, with divine spirit. Divine spirit and beauty... Are pretty synonymous and I'm not talking about the beauty of our trends for our culture what we think of as beauty in human form but real beauty the beauty of balance uh, the beauty provided by uh, the perfection we might call that you know sacred geometry for instance beauty is very closely connected to, div- to divinity and people would experience that when they were in nature nature also gives people a healthy perspective uh, it gives them a perspective about their lives, uh, renews their bodies, and actually, ultimately, gives us a sense—excuse me—of well-being and positive health. Uh, it inspires us to take care of ourselves. It uh, regenerates us on a cellular and, certainly, I can say for certain, an energetic level. So, feeling a bit down, feeling a bit stressed, restrained, frustrated, want to get better in touch with your purpose, uh, connect to your divine guidance, feel better about yourself, feel physically stronger, clear your head, uh, all of those things, go out and get into nature. It's, It's just what the divine doctor ordered. It's there for you. It's given as a gift. You are a part of nature. And that can create, perhaps within each of us, the kind of balance that we need to bring balance into the world who is, as we well know, greatly out of balance at this time. So we talk about helping nature. We talk about helping the planet. Let the planet help us. Let us help each other. The Earth has much to offer us. And then when we receive from her, we can do the give back uh, to the other beings on the planet. So I hope you'll all think about doing this in this beautiful month of August Let's all get outside and enjoy the spirit of nature. That's it for tonight's news, Ariel's going to be a good show. It always is. It, That's well, nothing It sure is. It. it sure is.
2: Thank you so much for the Seed News, Anastasia. Some fascinating um, concepts and ideas, and it's always good to know what's happening in the world and especially in the places that are having um, trauma or or experiences like with the with the weather, like you were talking about. It's always good for us to just... Uh, send some loving Support and light to those areas Absolutely Yeah Well, okay, thank you so much For the Starseed news And um, at this time I am going to open up the mic For uh, for Timothy Who is here on the switchboard And also for Lavendar Got the mics open Hello Timothy, welcome to Starseed Radio Academy
3: Well, thank you Yes, and fascinating um, uh, information, uh, just wonderful. I, I don't know oh. where I would have caught, caught all that. Uh, <laughs> <after this.
2: laughs> yes, Anastasia does a great job in uh, bringing news that doesn't make it onto the mainstream, but it's important for us to know. Isn't so, Lavendar, yes. I'm here. Okay, great. Well, Lavendar is going to kick it off, so go ahead and take it away.
1: Well, Timothy, I did not get to finish the book. um i just like two more chapters, but I will promise you that I will get them read uh, in the next couple of days. But before we start, I would like to read the back of your book, because I think our audience would love to hear it. So just let me start by saying, after 200 millennia of celestial quarantine in the wake of Lucifer, Lucifer's angelic revolt, Earth and the rebel angels isolated here are being welcomed back into the benevolent and caring multi universe. Writing together with Timothy Wiley, Georgia, a rebel angel who took on the role of watcher after the rebellion, provides her personal account of Earth from 16,500 B.C. to 8,000 B.C., a period that encompasses the first two eras, eras of Atlantis. Georgia shares her experiences being present for the final disappearance of Lemuria and the loss of their spiritual system. She describes advanced Lemurian technology that was designed for the betterment of the Earth and its people, and was then lost, and the aggressive piracy of the Atlanteans who preyed on the Lemurian survivors. Detailing the three eras of Atlantis and how the island's final destruction was in 1198 B.C., she explains the rise of Atlantis as a technological power. She she reveals the quarrels between the Pleiadians and the Syrians during this period and explores the myths of the Anaki, reputed to have arrived on Earth to mine for gold. Georgia interweaves her story with observations about Timothy Wiley's current and previous lives, focusing here on his involvement with the Process Church as well as his experience with bizarrely orchestrated orgies, psychometrics, and psychedelic culture in Europe in the 1970s. Georgia shares her words, in part, to awaken some of the more than 100 million rebel angels currently living their human lives most unaware of their angelic heritage and struggling with their sense of being different. She reveals how a mortal incarnation for a rebel angel is an opportunity to redeem the past and help prepare the way for the transformation of global consciousness now beginning as the rebel hell planets, including Earth, are being welcomed back into the multiverse. Well, that just probably says it all right there. (laughs) Woo! I love this book, and the book is Awakening of the Watchers. So, Timothy... Tell us anything you want to tell us today about how all this started for you
3: Oh my goodness me uh, <laughs> well as as is mentioned there um, about previous incarnations i'm not quite sure where to start where to start, but let me start with this one, this incarnation um, I was born in in england uh in um, in the war, so my first experiences were of bombs dropping around me and the wretched v two v ones and v twos uh which were absolutely terrifying anyway that's just a an awful by by aspect of the life anyway so my life goes on i um I get interested in architecture i qualify as an architect and practice as an architect for a few years i become part of a spiritual community because i i feel you know i feel the spirit in things. But I'm still very much a sort of a hard kind of English, <laughs> you know. I won't say um, I won't say sort of, uh, that I was a disbeliever because I'd had a number of experiences which had opened me up, but I hadn't really sort of come to terms with 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 living. Um, so in, in 1973, I had a near-death experience and one of those really profound ones, you know, up for 20 minutes and getting healed and meeting angels and, um, and being told that I had accomplished what I had come to accomplish, but that I, they were giving me a choice whether to continue or whether to come back. And I chose to come back. Um, and so, you know, the second, second period of my life started because, you know, Coming out of a near-death experience, having encountered angels, you know, <laughs> talk to the being of light, um, you know, once a changed person, you you I, you can't go back on that. So at that point, I decided to really to, to devote my life to exploring what I saw as the impact that. Non-human intelligences, and I included in this angels for obvious reasons. Dolphins, because I had discovered that dolphins are far, far more intelligent than we understand. And extraterrestrials, because I'd had a number of extraterrestrial experiences. Um, so, you know, it was a, a vivid reality for me. And so that's really started, you know, in the 80s. Uh, And I decided to write a book uh, every 10 years to encapsulate through personal experiences. And I would go all around the world having these various experiences, you know, what was happening, what were the dolphins were doing, you know, what the extraterrestrials were up to, you know. And gradually, more and more of this information came, you know, started coming through, and and I I was then in contact with my guardian angels. Um, So that started another line of dialogue. And then at some point, I think probably about 20 years ago, I started feeling this other presence in my life. Um, And we got to know each other. She explained who she was. She was a watcher, uh, a fallen angel uh, who had been given permission to stay on the planet. Most of the fallen angels were removed, uh, but she was given permission, a few others were too, to stay on the planet. So... um, well, to cut a long story short, because it was a lot of testing. I mean, you, you know, I, I didn't really want to sort of hang out with a fallen angel. Thank you very much. You know, <laughs> um, rather dubious company. But getting to know her and getting to understand all the various aspects behind it, and you know, her own redemption cycle as well, uh, I, I realized, yeah, okay, you know, we could become friends, and over uh, the last sort of. Uh, 15 years, and so we would become real, real friends. Um, but there was work involved, of course. And at some point, I had wanted to try and I had come across this Lucifer rebellion business, and I really wanted to explore that. And I had three different, I think, three or four different goes at it, and I just couldn't find the voice. So when Georgia came into my life. And she said, listen, what I would like to do is I want to tell my story. I've been here half a million years. I, I've seen it all. And I want to, to tell the story in a sense to understand myself what went wrong. We had wonderful, wonderful ideas and plans were the, you know the rebels. They wanted to open everything up. So what went wrong? That was her thing. So I said, okay. That's exactly what I wanted to explore. How wonderful! You know, it was an expansion of what I wanted to explore. So I said, but you know, to keep myself interested, since you say you've been with me all my life, and I didn't at that point know that she'd been there previous lives. Um, why don't you tell my story, right? But from, from your point of view, tell me all the things I didn't know at the time, what was going on behind my back. You know, what, what happened to Brewster then? I had no idea of. And so this extraordinary adventure started, and we started working together. You know, and we work together as if she is in the room with me. I, you know, I do it. I can hear her. I can feel her. I can't see her. I can smell her sometimes. I can't see her, um, but she's there as a as a collaboration. You know, so we we basically work as two collaborators together on this extraordinary uh, <laughs> saga. Uh, the book that you have in your hand is actually the fifth volume, and that's why it's from uh, 16,000 um, to, I think, 8,000. There are other volumes which go through earlier periods. Uh, so it's, it's a, I had no idea, of course, it was going to turn out to be a long saga. Uh, but apparently it's fascinating. I didn't originally have any intention of publishing it. Um, you know, it was something I just wanted to do for my own interest. Uh, but it caught the interest of the publisher, and uh, there we go. <laughs> oh,
1: I love it. I I, I was so in, engrossed in the way you described your dolphin experiences. Would you mind telling our audience about how she rode on the back of the whale and how the water was uh come, at, come up over her so that she would have oxygen to breathe? Can you describe that for our readers, I mean our listeners?
3: Well, yes. I mean, it's just a give the context. This was in one of the um periods when uh Atlantis was going through a very difficult period. And quite often there has been a tra- tradition that when innocent people get tangled up in very, very complex and difficult situations, uh, extraterrestrials will come and you know, come to the hand. <laughs> and in this particular case um, the dolphins came came to the rescue uh, because they were, I think, under the, not under the influence, but under the tutelage, I think, of the, of the Plydeans at that point. But anyway, um, they would come and they would come to Atlantis. They would pick up a person. In this case, I think Georgia wanted to tell the story of just one particular young girl, you know, who is very, you know, she's a water person, she's a adept, and the dolphins basically. Take her because they, they relocate um, for a period down in uh, the, the far south of, of, of uh, not exactly towards the South Pole, but in that direction they relocated there. It was a very different temperature at that point. Um, but anyway, as they go through the water, you know, they generally sort of, it's easier for the people who are riding, and they, they would sort of go in groups of eight or ten. Um, and, of course, a few dolphins would be circling around to make sure they weren't, uh, you know, sh- sharks didn't get involved and everything was cool. And the wonderful thing was that as when the dolphins needed to go below the surface, right, they would create out of the blowhole a bubble of air and the, the girl or whoever was riding the dolphin would be encapsulated by this... Um, You know, this bowl, and they would be able to breathe a a salty, (laughs) somewhat fishy breath, but breath nonetheless. Uh, And in this way, they were, you know, they were kind of really kind of almost like molded as one being, Um, because as we're starting now to understand, a dolphin intelligence is very different from ours, and that's why we can't really understand it, because we, we rate intelligence within our own understanding of intelligence. But when the intelligence is devoted to very different things, we can't see it, we don't see it. You know. But they saw it in those days. It was, it, it was different. It was much more open and understanding.
1: Well, I just love the picture of that. I, I could just... Mm-hmm. Have you painted that picture? I know you're an artist. Have you painted a dolphin with a girl riding on the back? Have you done that yet?
3: No, no, I'm not very good at people. <laughs> so, but I, haven't, I have done one of a dolphin with, with having blown this bubble. Yes, I did. I did that once.
1: So tell us some more about Atlantis. We have a lot of listeners that that uh, are really interested in Atlantis. And um, they they would certainly like to hear any stories that you would like to relate about what happened during, uh, especially the last downfall of Atlantis.
3: Mm. That really actually came, comes in later books, but um, it, it, yes, Atlantis was a complex, a complex civilization. It, it inherited a lot from Lemuria, but. When Lemuria went down, Lemuria also went down in three stages. But there was a a, a big sort of outflow of Lemurian uh, knowledge and information um, that went all really all around the world. A lot of Tibetan uh, pre, uh, you know, early Tibetan stuff was was uh, derived from Lemuria, um, Indian. Uh, they, they went pretty much all over the place, including South America and a, a bit in uh, South North America, you know, because of course we had the ice as well of that through that period. Um, but when the went down, the uh, be, people, because uh, there were three. Um, period over because it was basically what happened was a comet was coming around and when the comet came around there was devastation and of course that would come around whatever i think it was every 1500 1700 years or something like that so of course everybody had forgotten about it the next time it came around um but the uh there was a big lift off right. so um the uh, Pleiadians i believe yes it was the Pleiadians um brought in their craft, yeah, it was, and they voluntarily lifted up anybody who wanted to be lifted off, but of course, as always, you know, a group of people who didn't actually want to be lifted off, and you know, maybe a little bit of a kind of troublemaker, sort of, yeah, that edge to <laughs> any culture, and they hung out anyway, and also there was a tremendous level of psychic disappointment involved. Because they had, you know, they had really, you know, given their whole spirit to, to, you know, to sun and earth and and, uh, and even to their understanding of of God, you know, uh, which came and went, obviously, it's a difficult thing to hold. Um, So, essentially, kind of the rather sort of nasty end of the linear end of culture ended up in Atlantis. Atlantis had been going some time before then, but it had never really taken off. When the Lemurian guys got there, the whole thing started coalescing, and really it turned into a sort of a, a, almost like a criminal uh, culture. It was kind of like the the flip side of of Lemuria, which was really a very divine culture. I mean, It had its problems, but it was very, you know, located in the heart of of things. Atlanta is rather different to that, and they really sort of, as I said in that in, in that back page, they really, you know, became, um, you know, they were great shipbuilders, um, and uh, the, the basically were still on the pillage, you know, all all around um, the uh, you know the north of. Uh, the Atlantic, I suppose, up and down the coast and everything. And, um, you yeah, know, they become very very difficult. And the Egyptian culture, which is, of course, you know, really started coalescing through that period, there was a big conflict between them and what they called the sea people, you know, the, the um, Asanteans. And then at some point, they got into you, into the metal business, right? <laughs> and they you know would pick up tin from England and then they would pick up you know various different other other metals from america right and they had a whole American situation where they would you know pick up metals and then bring them down to the coast and then uh, across uh, you know the, the Atlantic they would go and that was really the the source of 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 the bronze Age you know the on that whole period. Um, so they became enormously wealthy and enormously rich but constantly, <laughs> you know, fell under under this sort of odd situation and I think we're kind of looking at it now in a sense of, of our own situation and that is when a natural situation starts getting out of balance the the thing here <laughs> really does get out of balance and they had, you know, a very devastating series of earthquakes, as I say, in, in three different periods, until the final one, when they went, when they disappeared, you know, finally forever. Um, but, I suppose from the point of view of what we're interested in right now, is that Atlantis was the first time that the rebel angels started incarnating in, as human beings, Right unaware of their angelic heritage and in that period actually a lot of them turned out to be slaves and you know very sort of uh, you know self punitive roles but that was I think according to George that was the first time that we we were seeing the return of these rebel angels you know after this long whatever it was 200,000 year period of, of being sort of uh, I guess taken away or put somewhere or I'm told they're sort of put on sort of frozen planets of some sort. But anyway, this is really a redemption uh, aspect, and of course they, they can't get it right in one incarnation, so they are basically reincarnating through this sort of cycle of, I think, I think seven different star systems of which we're one of them, you know. Um, so, you know, it takes a lot of incarnations to you know, as one angel told me, it's like getting a, a, a getting a what did she say, um, a rainbow into a Coca-Cola bottle. That's what it was like, <laughs> trying to get an angel into a human body. So it takes a lot of incarnations to customize oneself. Um, and we tend to take on the difficult roles, you know, but the, the hard roles, um We tend to have very difficult childhoods because it's important to strengthen our emotional bodies. Angels inherently don't have very strong emotional bodies. So, you know, you come into a situation like this where emotions are flooding through (laughs) the atmosphere all the time, and you've got to be tough, you know. And I guess that's why I had the bombs dropped on my head. it toughened me up.
1: (laughs) I wanted to ask you... When did did the Lucifer Rebellion really get kicked into gear here on this planet? What period of time was
3: that? Well, the rebellion happened around 203,000 years ago. Um, It evolved fairly quickly because 37 planets out of the basically 1,000 inhabited or to be inhabited planets in this little local system, it's a pretty local affair. I should say that started, not sort of, lucifer versus god or anything like that goes way, way way up and out of the picture this is really quite a local affair because the angels are the beings that really kind of um take care of things if you like you know i mean the, the outer worlds right the worlds that we can kind of touch and smell and everything right they're the worlds of the extraterrestrials as right? well the inner worlds right? the worlds we um approach through our meditation through our uh, art through our imaginations, right? This is an inha- these are inhabited worlds. These are the worlds of the angels, and they basically lay the patterns for creation. And then we, you know, the, in the outer world, we take those patterns in, in any way we can, and we kind of, you know, uh, develop these little rocks that we've been placed on and make them as beautiful as we can. And in some cases, in the 37 planets that Went with, with Lucifer. All right. What happened was that the, the, the big guys, what I call Ma, the Multiverse administration, said, okay, all right. if you want to see what you want, you know, go for it. You know, except, we're not going to have any involvement with it. We're going to pull away our stuff for it. Right. We're going to isolate you because we don't want this, this thing spreading. Right. So, you're on your own, baby see what you've got. Now, of course, angels are very present on the planet. I mean, I wouldn't say there are more angels than people, but there are certainly a great many angels on the planet. You know, everybody's got guardian angels, you know, angels of the future, angels of the church, angels of this and that. And, um, it, the... There the, the are basically two officiating angels, not really very high angels, the angels on the list who come kind of in charge of a planet, you know, an inhabited planet. They they, they take care of <laughs> their 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 angels, you know, who take care of us, right? But in this particular case, in the thirty-seven planets case, the officiating angels sided with Lucifer, right? So it was pretty immediate. Um, I would say within a a thousand, a couple of thousand years we were basically isolated and on our own and we had these two um guys, you know, uh, who basically were a little crazy, um, over over the thousands of years because they weren't really they weren't really equipped to run a planet. They could run angels, but they couldn't really run a planet. That's a much more complicated business. You know. So the situation we're in at the moment is that about, I think, about 25 years ago, there was a, a fundamental reconciliation on the levels, right? And this is basically filtering down. So what's happening right now is that all the, the difficulties and the corruption and the foolishness and the misunderstandings that have been baked into the system are now coming to the surface to be released, just as the boils come to the surface, on the bodies to be released. And it looks pretty dire, you know, as all this sort of stuff comes to the surface. But actually, it's all part of this resolution, reconciliation process. Uh, it's difficult, it's awkward, but in some ways, absolutely wonderful as well. Because it signifies we're close to, you know, a major breakthrough.
1: Did Georgia ever say anything about how many... Atlanteans have now reincarnated back on this planet? Has she ever given you a number?
3: No. No, no she do, she really doesn't give numbers much. Um, even the number, you know, of of, uh, uh, of um, fallen angels, you know, who are now in incarnation, uh, you know, every once in a while she'll say, well, now it's out to, you know, 120 million or something like that. But no, she doesn't give me... I would imagine a lot because... They've got a lot to redeem.
1: What I've come to know is that a lot of of beings that were in Atlantis are back again, and it and it's the code is never again Atlantis. You know, it's we're like back. here with technology now we're being tested with with spiritual divinity at the same time as technology, and and it looks like technology is running ahead of 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 man's spiritual nature and. So, we're coming up again for a big test. It looks like to me. Is that what you think? um yes,
3: yes, I mean, I think one can you know one can sculpt it in different ways. um I think it would be a test for some. I mean, I think it would be a massive affirmation for others right you know, you know on page
1: two hundred in your book. you talk about black science. tell our our listeners what what you think black science was in those times
3: oh uh, i i you got me there. Uh, I, I I don't remember the, the books, I'm afraid. Uh, okay, well, you, you
1: talk about the electrogravity and how that black science is 50 years ahead of what they're teaching in universities.
3: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, because, you know, I, I, I don't recall a lot of what Georgia says. Um, yeah, um, yes, I mean, clearly for, I, I would say, 50 or 60 years, there's been a. Uh, you know tremendous acceleration you know because we've been you know picking up uh you know crash sources and back engineering them and then of course there's been a tremendous amount of extraterrestrial contact on on the government levels that we're unaware of, and also a lot of extraterrestrial contact to individuals you know within just within people um and uh, it, it's going to be interesting to find out. Only the future will tell whether this, the, the suppression of information on all this for the last fifty or sixty years has actually served the cause, or whether it's distorted it. We don't know yet. We really don't know. I mean, all this came from some silly guys in, in the fifties who produced a paper saying, you know, if the extraterrestrial, you know, revelation was known, about everybody it would go crazy. You know, I mean, I was paraphrasing it somewhat. Um, but that was that. Now, you know, 50 years later, it's a very different situation. But of course, the poor old government have got themselves in this awful awkward situation where they're going to have to at some point admit that they've been, you know, holding back, deceiving, telling lies, you know, ruining people's career. You know, for years and years by denying what everybody, most people have any awareness, it's pretty obvious you know, And if we're part of a multiverse you know, uh, extraterrestrials are coming and going all the time, but has eyes to see them um, a lot of them are here on the planet a lot of us are reincarnated from extraterrestrial sources, you know, it's a very much more complicated and fascinating and wonderful situation that we're being allowed to see, so we really don't know yet I mean, I don't think we'd all go crazy, uh, you know, with the extraterrestrial revelation really was everybody knew about it, you know. I don't
1: well, you know, there's could. times when I thought I was losing my mind when all these high strangeness started happening, so I, I kind of can identify with that. Yes, so you I wanted see, to I ask, mean, you, no, you no, live in, I, in New I, Mexico. Uh, have you been seeing a lot of ATs at night, a lot of lights, and have you had any experiences where you live?
3: Can I go back to your point? Because it's a very good point. Because I too, you know, thought I was going crazy, and, you know, I think we all go through that particular period. But, you see, you could put it in the context of overall disbelief, of people sneering at you if you say, Yeah, I believe in ETs, you know, of all these sort of academic. You know, wise men will say no. False, it couldn't be true. So that's why, you know, we feel we're getting out of our minds. It's it's not something inherently, you know. I mean, we we're, we're just kind of coming coming back into normality. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's well, the so crazy. things that
1: I was referring to is I would be in one place and in ten minutes I'd be apported somewhere else. And it's like I had so many wild experiences that were out of the norm. I really didn't care about what people thought. That wasn't my issue. My issue was I, I kept being put through all kinds of experiments to see how I would handle it and how I would write about it. And I did this for 25 years. And in those yes. 25 years, I really do think I lost my mind a couple of times.
3: <laughs> 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 I really have to admit
1: that. <laughs>
3: it's not a bad thing to lose every once in a while, because one can always reclaim it. you Yeah. Know, uh, lose one's mind forever. Uh, Sometimes one just has to float completely, you know, with the situation and not analyze it.
0: True.
3: I think one of the big drawbacks to, you know, any any spiritual, profound spiritual event is trying to analyze it while it's going on, you know, using the head while it's going on, as opposed to absolutely going with the heart, going with the flow, and just letting the information pour in, you know, and then spend the rest of one's life analyzing it. As you said
1: that, I just turned to, to the page where you said, however, when people act from the heart, they don't need religions to control them or tell them who and how to worship. When someone acts from their heart, his or her life will become the the act of worship. That's True. very good. True. I've yeah. really marked this book up with a yellow pen. It's like, <laughs> you know, and the first time I read this, I marked it up, and then I walked away from it from a cu- couple of months, And and then when I started looking for the book, again, I couldn't find it, and it was under my bed. And then I I saw all these markings that I had made before, and then I went back over them again because it's like, ditto, ditto, this is just absolutely fantastic information. And anyone listening to us, Awakening of the Watchers, it's a must-read. Now, I don't have the rest of your books, but I plan on getting them. It looks like you have Wisdom of the Watchers, Rebel Angels in Exile, the Return of the Rebel Angels, Confessions of a Rebel Angel, Revolt of the Rebel Angels, Dolphins, ETs, and Angels. So you have several books out there. And, and how many are, are now translated in foreign languages?
3: Um, I, I, I actually don't really follow that. I don't think the Rebel Angel books are, because I don't think other cultures are really tuned into this particular, it's fairly arcane stuff, because and a very reasonable question would be, well, why, why? what's all this about, you know, when you know we've got Earth to worry about? My point being that we can't really understand what's going on on Earth until we understand really the larger frame, you know, what, what, what is the Earth position in the multiverse? What does it mean to be... Uh, injected in, in, in back into the multiverse. You know what is that? What would that mean? You know, and and also, you know, once one understands we're living in an inhabited multiverse, then what are the <laughs> what are the nature of the inhabitants? You know, one wants to know about them, um, and especially if they're having you know an influence on this planet, which they are, uh, as they must because you know we're part you know, were part of a much larger frame and also were a very important little planet. You know, because something is going to be happening in in the relatively near future which is going to be of enormous interest to everybody. You know, I mean that's why like they're that here. Yeah. You know.
1: things that I really enjoyed reading about is how you had taken the Urantia material and it had it, it you weaved it throughout your stories. I really love the Urantia book. I found that book Way back, oh, when it first came out, uh, back in the '70s or early '80s, and I kept it, and I would, I would read on it ever so often. And then later on, when J.J. Hertak came out with his his book, um, then then I jumped to that one. But but I really lo- thought a lot about your ranches. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what you found with the Orantia book?
3: Yes, and well, f- speaking personally as somebody who was kind of studying for 30 or 40 years, various different cosmologies, you know, and, you know, really trying to find out, you know, what is this war in heaven, you know, that seems to occur, unfailingly, in so many of these cosmologies, you know, some sort of hint of a prior time where something went disastrously wrong, you know, so, as I was uh, trying to discover all this you know, I bumped into the arrangement book, a formidable term, I should say over two thousand pages. So, when I first bumped into it i I just couldn 't deal with it really I think in nineteen seventy seven I really couldn 't deal with it um but after uh, took me about a about a year i think to sort of summon up the courage to take on this massive thing. But once I got into it, I, it's very clear, because I'm a reader, I'm you know, as a writer, I'm a reader, i read a lot. So I kind of recognize a human voice, you know. However weird I can recognize a human voice, this, wasn't a, this isn't a human voice. The original book was channeled through humans and probably diddled with a little bit by humans. But the, the essential stuff you can hear is a different voice. It's a different intelligence behind it. Right. And that's what got me interested. Was really, ah, this is authentic. Uh, this isn't just somebody pretending or, you know, just blathering away. This is authentic, and it's very, very detailed. It's um, divided into four very substantial uh, volumes. Uh, the first, I think, is basically focused on the nature of God. It's right? <laughs> is little more complex complicated than what we think. The <laughs> second on um, basically the universe. The third about the, uh, you know, I've almost forgotten the sequence of it. Third, about this planet, and the fourth, which is very interesting for anybody who has a feeling for, for Jesus, and that is the life and times of Jesus as told by the angels who accompanied him. And he's wonderful. You you can all, you know, in a sense, I mean, of course, it's nothing nothing like, uh, but like uh, George was telling me stuff that I didn't know, you know. And here's, here, here the the angels, you know, t- telling ourselves the, what really went on, and it's absolutely wonderful. It's why I mean, is it is a tear. That's why. I mean, I'm I'm a musician, right? I I had to to sell my absolutely wonderful guitar, in <laughs> order you know, to, to get enough money to to join to join this spiritual community, right? And, and travel. And Jesus as well was a wonderful harpist. And when his father died, you know, he was still fairly young, was 13 or 16, he, he had to sell his harp in order to support his, the family, you know, with the six or seven children as well. Um, and, you know, it's little things like that that just touch the heart. You know? And, you know, the whole business of Jesus marrying, you know, or Jesus, did Jesus have? No, you know. You know Jesus was a a man, she was a good man, you know, he wouldn't want, knowing who he was, knowing what was in store for him, he wouldn't want to set up a situation where he would disappoint some poor young woman, you know, so, uh, you know, it it strikes at the very sort of very obvious but very touching and, and beautiful It's a wonderful book. I thoroughly recommend it. It also has its issues, I should say, because it's written by angels. Angels aren't perfect. They have their attitudes. And in fact, one of the things that got me interested in the whole Lucifer rebellion was the way the angels spoke about Lucifer was so dismissive. And, you know, oh, he was just crazy, you know. Oh, it just all went to his head. But, of course, there's was much more going on than that. I wanted to know what the other side of things were going on. And that's really what got me interested in, in, in the books that I write.
1: Well, I just absolutely love this book, and I will finish the last two chapters <laughs> in the next couple of days. I had a, something happen to my eye, so I had to uh, go to the eye doctor, and he put a patch on my eye, so then I, when I tried yeah. to read, I couldn't read with just one eye. <laughs> that's why I haven't finished no, it. I haven't finished the last two chapters, but I will. Uh, And I absolutely adore this book. And at this time, I would like to um, ask Ariel, my co-host, to come online. And uh, we have um, a switchboard, and there may be some people that would like to maybe talk to you or ask you some questions. Would you be up for that for a few minutes?
3: Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Yes, absolutely.
1: So, Ariel, so back to you. And and Timothy, we'll talk later. I have some things I'd like to discuss with you. I'll call you later. Okay. Okay.
2: Well, excellent. Um, I've really enjoyed um, listening. And if anyone on the switchboard has a question or comment for Timothy, you'll need to press 1 on your keypad so we know you want to come on the air. If you're listening on the computer, then uh, you'll need to dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press one, so we know you have a question. And uh, well, we've got we've got one caller um, just now going into the screening room, so as soon as they're done, we'll have um, a question or a comment. Um, but you know, as as I was listening, um, from from what I'm gathered, what I've gathered from what you said, is that there are untold numbers. Of these um, fallen angels reincarnating in human form to try to work off their their debt to find the redemption to get back. Um, and do th- do those angels also have angels that are helping them?
3: Yes, yes, of course, yes, yes. And I, are, I, 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 I should get uh, across that these are, you know, normal human beings, you know. They will consider themselves normal human beings, but they will find themselves come out of culture. Very often, they will have different ideas. Maybe they will love animals more than people. You know, there are different aspects to the to the genre, and also they're at very different stages of development according to how many uh, um, incarnations they have made in order to get here. So uh, it's quite a diverse situation.
2: And and what is the, um, I mean, there are obviously angels that are not part of the the rebellion and, and those that were, and do they, are they working together again in this um, attempt to rebalance things?
3: Essentially everybody is basically working together at this point, whether they know it or not, yes. Because, <laughs> I like you know, that even, you know, the situations we're seeing on the planet at the moment you know, what appears from one point of view to be disastrous, one can see from another point of view how whole groups of people who've been suppressed for hundreds of years who haven't been allowed to think or say anything are suddenly sort of breaking out of that and a lot of them are are saying the wrong things and doing the wrong things, but we have to do the wrong things before we do the right things that's how we learn, you know so that's essentially what's happening at this point. Everything is working towards the good, although it can appear rather difficult when one's inside it.
2: Right. Well, like you said, you know, just like a boil, um, some of that unpleasant stuff has got to kind of, you know, come and come out and be dealt with before there can be healing, because you just can't keep everything under well, the rug. Yeah. I mean, just
3: so um, a very we practical. have our. Can
2: I continue or? Oh, oh, yeah. We have our caller ready to go. So just if you want to finish your thought.
3: Um, go yes, ahead. I mean just on a very practical level, we are not being allowed to get into the inhabited space because <laughs> because we're still carrying so much aggression and uh, and stuff you know inside us. All right. This is what this is what I mean by the stuff is baked into the system. And it's baked into the system, it's baked into all of us, you know, in terms of clarifying our own lives. So that's why it's so essential. You know, we can't be really invited back into the inhabited multiverse until we learn how to behave. Well,
2: (laughs) I agree with that wholeheartedly. So um, we have Lynn on the switchboard here, and Lynn has a question for you about uh, clarification on the black science, so Lynn, you are on the air with Timothy
3: hi
4: um hi, i'm i'm very uh I'm very glad that lavendar called me and told me that she thought I would enjoy this show, so I dialed in and uh, i I too had a near death experience so first i'm gonna just make a comment and then i'll get into to the question but um You are the first person who I've spoken to, and I've been in a lot of different situations of people with near-death experiences that had exactly the same. I was absolutely allowed to choose to stay or come back.
3: Oh, how wonderful. (laughs) Why did you choose to come back? Why did you choose to come back? Well,
4: you know, I, I, I really thought you know people ask me that and 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 because of that very question I I did a book called The Magic of Why but beyond that I I think it was it is exactly in the context of what you're talking about is that we have got to we have got to all settle so that we can come back into enough alignment yeah. To to be whole.
3: Exactly, yes. I mean, we are, it is happening. It's not if, it's when. <laughs> and it's yes, individual. and it is,
4: and I agree, it is happening so yes. profoundly. Yes. Uh, but for, I think, those of us that have seen what it can be, it seems so arduous and slow.
3: Well, yes, I mean, the leading edge of anything. If it looks back, it really, it it realizes how slow everything is moving. And of course, the impulse and the leading is sort of, you know, let's move, let's go, let's go. So our lesson is basically patience. You know, we have to basically, you know, wait for everybody to catch up in a sense. Although, ultimately, it's an individual thing. I mean, we are individuals. You know, we live and die as individuals. Um, So it's Mm -hmm. not really a a community thing, although, of course, it is, in a sense, because it's a very important little planet. Anyway, go on, tell me more.
4: Okay, well, so I I have not read your book, but I'm absolutely going to get it. And my question was relative to, there were two things that I found fascinating. I am one of six children, and they're... There's almost a group of three and then a group of three. And the second group of three went through tremendous childhood trauma. The first group went through their fair share. But the second group, it was um, really more on the lines of PTSD kind of trauma.
3: Right, yes, yes. PTSD is invaluable because it actually shows one how screwed up one is and it provides an impulse for working out these things. I got tremendous you know, from, from those bombs. for a lifetime.
4: Well, and I work with a lot of children and I believe we have many, many children in urban situations uh, and inner city situations that literally are Subjected to the trauma and have PTSD, whether we call it or identify it or not.
3: Yes, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. Yeah, we've no idea how damaging you know, we can be. Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> on the other no. hand, <laughs> it provides the, the the mulch, you know, that we use in order to work out how we got not that way. All right. And In working that out, we find out who we are. You know, I didn't and, and, come into this knowing I was a, a rebel angel. I had no idea about all that stuff. You know, but as I examine my life, knowing that I can, I can see every aspect of my life manifesting within that sort fuller of context. You know, of rebelling against, you know, sometimes for no real good reason. <laughs>
4: Now my my then now that brings me to can can you explain what you mean by black science?
3: Yes, I mean it's it's a relatively common um, uh, you know phrase within, within the biz. Uh, it's essentially uh, you know after the Roswell crash they started to take things really seriously. The first crash has okay. happened was, uh, as you know, on the East Coast. And they kind of really didn't take it too seriously until they realized that the Germans also had had a crash and they were working stuff out as well. So when the Roswell crash started, you know, one of those strange things is how everybody knew what to do. You know, I mean, you, you wouldn't have thought the first UFO crashes on Earth, you know, but everybody knew exactly what to do. I mean, not in a good way, but, you know, to hide this and hide that, to tell lies about this, blah, blah, blah. And that started the great lie, right? And essentially it was, you know, we we can we can back-engineer this, we can get stuff, and nobody else will know about it, you know. The Russians won't know about it, and we can develop this. And, you know, over the period of, I don't know, 20 years or so, uh, when the Cold War really was um, an illusory threat, if you like. because course, it was never real. Uh, it, was just, it was just a game, really. It was a trivial game. But it was a game that was intended to get technology really accelerated. And, you know, by, I think, the 70s or 80s, you know, um, it was getting really difficult <laughs> because, you know, you first were appearing over... Government installations, you know, they were turning stuff off and on, you know, showing Mm -hmm. who was in charge, essentially. (laughs) But uh, you know, the the black science were the scientists who basically were developing the um, the stuff that couldn't be out out. You know, output to the the public. I mean, we did get some stuff from that. You know, night um, like vision, I think, uh, and a few other sort of technologies. But the real technologies, how those things work, they kept to themselves, yeah. and that's the backside. The
4: reverse engineering
3: part of it. Yeah. I, well, how? The, okay. know, I mean, how how the things travel? You know? Because they, right. <laughs> you know, they don't travel as we would think normally, you know, through through what we see as the universe, you've got to go into another dimension in order to move through the universe. You can't, you can't really move through as we're discovering, you know, because the silly thing about it, you've got the black science, which is, as I say, about 50 or 60 years ahead, and this is what they say, they say, that 50 or 60 years ahead. You know, and then we have the conventional science you know, which we're being taught in universities and we got the poor old, <laughs> poor old guys down, you know, in NASA, you know, with their, their, their rocket engines. You know, which must be absurd to the people in the black science. You know, using all these weird <laughs> real electro gravity energies and stuff and whirling around. You know, it's gonna be quite interesting when it all comes out. Quite interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: Well, I, I, I just thank you so much. I appreciate the time, and I will get your book.
3: Well, thank you so much for, for being open about your own experience. Um, were you also told that you had accomplished what you had come to do? Were you given the choice?
4: I, I, I was, it, it was, a, I, I I not in those terms, but I knew that I, I was done if I chose to be done.
3: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Same thing, right?
4: Uh, yeah. I mean, the the words yeah. weren't those words, but the right. the energetic was. You're totally done, and if you want to yeah. stay, stay. And if you want right. to come back, and and yeah. almost almost as I thought the thought, I came into a gaseous, almost like a sarcophagus, and sort of had light connect and was back in, in my body
3: Oh, how fascinating, right Yes, a yes. like yes. little rebirth, little Egyptian rebirth yeah.
4: and, and it was absolutely in an Egyptian um, yeah. something very high-tech Egyptian
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, welcome back Thank
4: you very much, <laughs> and thank thank you for having the information and and showing the way.
3: Oh, my, my pleasure. <laughs> One does it inadvertently.
4: <laughs> oh well, Lynn. Thank
2: you so much for calling. It's good to hear your voice. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Bye bye.
4: Bye.
3: So.
2: Wow. Um, so let me just repeat. If, uh, if anyone else has a question or comment for Timothy, you'll need to press 1 on your keypad. Um, and if you're listening on the computer, then you have to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. So um while we're waiting to see if anyone else has a question, is there any other uh, topic that you would like to cover for our audience?
3: Oh my goodness, um, almost almost anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm actually fairly used to not getting many phone calls because I know this is pretty erudite stuff and it's very easy to dismiss it on many, many, many levels one has, a, has actually has to, like our caller has to have had an experience which has opened one's eyes in order to realize you know, the um, the significance of, of this material um, so I'm well aware that most people you know, uh, are really a uh, little ahead of it
2: no worries. Yeah, well, our audience is very um very spiritual, very awake. Um they've they kind of they know what's going on um much more than, you know, the average person course, you might see on the street. So, um but any any other part of your story that you want to share with us, now would be the time. <sighs>
3: not very good at these open Okay, well
2: questions. let me let me just uh then ask um are you are you still working on, on more books with Georgia?
3: No. What happened was that um we wrote together eight books in two years and it really burnt me out. Um I, you know I I I, I, I <laughs> yeah, my oh, brain, brain went woo. Yeah. Um, yeah,
2: that, that's unheard eight, of. I mean,
3: well, I woke up one books? morning, I couldn't read. Yeah, eight books. Actually, it was because I was writing another couple of books of my own. And there about nine books. Oh, but yeah. Oh, Yeah. In those two yeah. years, I didn't know it was. It was. We were working. You know, sometimes you know, twenty hours a day. I mean, it was. It was really. I knew I had to get it down. I knew I. Yeah. I knew it was. You know, I had to work at Georgia's pace, and of course. She wasn't speaking and everything. And she she was, you know, she's careful of me, but, you know, she also wants to get material out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, we got to, I think we're up to about 1,000 years, 1,500 years BC at this point, on the eighth book. Um, But at this point, I think,
0: um, I don't know.
3: We'll we'll have to see. Uh, It's possible the publisher may have had enough of them. There are five books, and I don't think... Any of us knew was <laughs> going to expand so, so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're very, very dense. Each of those books is extremely dense with information, and from the lessons I get, from people, extremely helpful as well. Um, so I think my plan is at the moment um, I have a book in my mind, which is basically what it's like to live with angels, you know, as a, as a sort of reality in one's life. Uh, and how that you know how that's different you know from normal life. Uh, so I think I'll probably do that and then if I can get my act together and George has got more to say um, I'll go back and do it but I'm, I'm a graphic artist I mean that, that's my avocation that's what I love to do so all this really kind of in a sense takes me away from that
2: <laughs> yeah well yeah having having more than one thing that you're passionate about. Um, it can be very time consuming, as well as energy consuming. So um, I am I'm looking. We don't we don't I don't think we're going to have any more callers because there's, I don't see anybody with that flag. So um, let me just recap a little bit. Your website is Timothy Wiley, and that's spelled well Timothy T I M O T H Y, and Wiley is W Y L L I E dot com. And your books are also on Amazon, and I'm sure any um, national distribution house as well. Yes,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Well, excellent. And I think on Amazon they even let you—you know—they give you a little sneak preview, let you read a few pages. So, um, and would you recommend taking the books in order?
3: Well, yes, in a sense, uh, I would. Um, of course, uh, they are, you know, but they're sort of self-sufficient in a sense. But, uh, yeah, I think I would advise to take them in order. Now, I have other books, of course, that I wrote earlier on. So if somebody is kind of just really kind of starting their spiritual journey, um, my first book, which uh, came out in 1984, Dolphins, Angels, uh, ETs, uh, or Dolphins, ETs, and Angels, uh, which is still in print, um, that's really a pretty good place to start. Um because there in that there's a sense of really starting to come to grips with who the dolphins are, you know, what they're doing here, you know, what a being of uh, high intelligence, possibly higher in many ways than ours, is right? doing on the same planet as as us. So what's going on there. Um, and then, you know, introduction to the ET, and I had a wonderful experience with a little ET that we, a couple of us, encountered and we kind of got a whole lot of information about how the universe works. Um, and then uh, uh, finding somebody, or coming from in, in, um, somebody uh, up north, who was channeling angels. Right. and they had kind of burst through quite spontaneously and kind of go out and set out to general and so a couple of us went up there and, and uh, started talking to the angels for a couple, of t- a couple of weeks so that was kind of, you know, the basis <laughs> the basis of my entire work essentially sort of laid out in that in that one book and then everything else has been a sort of a, a further examination, a further exploration of of each of those aspects, you know
2: well, excellent. And uh of course, Ask Your Angels, which you wrote with two colleagues, was a New York Times bestseller and um that one is still in print and available as well on Amazon. Yep. So, you've got you've got quite a a library and and a great accomplishment that you have put forth to help people and we surely appreciate your work on the planet. So, um we recommend to um, all of our audience that you pick up um, <laughs> any, any of Timothy's books, and if you want to start with dolphins, ETs, and angels, obviously a lot of starseeds are very strongly connected and working with dolphins. I'm sure that would appeal as well. Yes. So um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your work with us, and when you, uh, If you have your, your another book that you're working on, please keep us in mind, because we'd like to hear what's new for you as it comes up.
3: Well, yes, and how kind of you. And, yes, you've been very generous with your time, and, and I appreciate very much being able to speak so openly with people who, you know, I would anticipate, would understand what I'm talking about. So thank you so much.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it was our pleasure. So uh, at this time, I want to thank everyone for listening, and we will be back next week. And until then, from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we wish you a wonderful week. Remember to count your blessings and live in grace. Good night, everyone.